I was afforded the opportunity to run the family business in 2017. One of the very first things I wanted to do was join YPO. The whole family business aspect is, is really, that along with Forum is what really drew me into YPO. And it's been invaluable to me being able to share stories about family businesses and having like-minded individuals that have experienced what I'm going through and can give me advice. It's just been incredible. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for subscribing. Hit the subscribe button. We've got a great show for you today. We've got Ben McAllister, golf entrepreneur, worldwide golf enterprises. And we're going to talk about how he went straight from college to the president of one of the biggest companies in golf retail. He's going to talk about finding new technology or methods, making a mark, proving yourself indispensable, Basically, he did it by providing value, and there's a lot of life along the way of his career story. He's going to get into how to let things go and how to find opportunities. Welcome to the show, and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Ben McAllister, thank you so much for taking time and coming away from the Tom Ford Underwear Factory. In from the bend on Pebble Beach to spend some time with us today talking about your life. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Thank you, Matt. I am wearing Tom Ford underwear, by the way. You know, if there was video, I'd show you, but is that a Tom Ford shirt? Oh, 100%. All Tom Ford, all the time. Here he is. And how do you get to a point where you're wearing Tom Ford all the time? We're going to get into that. Ben McAllister, a golf genius and golf guru, and golf entrepreneur, and golf businessman. You probably heard of Roger Dunn, the Golf Mart, Golfer's Warehouse, Vans, Golf Shops, Enwood Watts Golf, or many other brands under the Worldwide Golf Enterprises. We're going to get into how do you take your passion, and Ben is like your your scratch, what is that, 79? Like a 79 golfer. Uh, technically I refer to myself as the world's worst three handicap right now. Cause I'm not playing a lot of golf and it's hard to get the can- handicap back up. But yeah, I mean, from time to right, people always ask me if I'm a good golfer and I say some holes, <laughs> some holes. So how do you take a passion like that and drive it into business? We're going to get into it. We're going to get into the family business. We're going to get into the life of uh, helping others and contributing to the world, how to find one of the greatest spouses in the world, Andy and pair your values to build a family. We're going to get deep today, but before we do, Ben McAllister, what is your definition of excellence? Wow, that's a really good question, Matt. Uh, Listen, so when I think about uh, excellence, you know, I for for many, many years, I strive for perfectionism. And, you know, one of the sayings that, that I heard one time that I really liked was that if you strive for perfection, you will achieve excellence. So, 
I guess bottom line is excellence is not perfectionism, <laughs> so to speak. But, you know, qu- quite honestly, I, I think excellence is really just absolutely trying your best. And so I, I think it's relative, you know, and yeah. So we take golf, for example. I'm the world's worst golfer. You're one of the better ones. I could go try my best and really do a horrible job. So it's it's absolutely trying your best, probably over time, striving for perfection, and you get to excellence. Yeah, listen, I mean, you're out there, right? I mean, just being out there and being in a sport that you're uncomfortable with, especially one like golf that's extremely difficult, you've challenged yourself. You're out there, right? You've pushed yourself. And so that's excellence for you. I mean, for me, I'd like to go out there and try to shoot even par. That happens infrequently, but I'm out there. I'm spending time with my friends. I'm pursuing a passion. So, you know, to me, that's excellent. You know, if I was sitting on the couch, not doing anything, uh, neglecting my family, not excellent. Wow. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking about that horrible invention that's ruined the life of high school and middle school kids, Instagram. And there's this just pressure all the time. Everything's better than you. Their bodies are better. Their vacation is better. Their meal is better. Their photo is better. And it just feels like you're never excellent compared to others. So your definition of excellence kind of eliminates that, not not competitiveness, but that overbearing in your face, not good enough social media vibe that you get because it's excellent for you, driving you, pushing you. And you're a driven dude. And we're going to get into moving to Hawaii to launch those golf stores during the pandemic and those calls that you made to me where you're just totally missing your family. And just you're almost willing to just say, I'm done with all this. I just want to go hang out with my family almost to the point of this is too hard, but you're pushing yourself, you're pushing yourself and you made it and you set the business up real well. We're going to get into that. But before we do, before Boston College, we're going to go way back to splitting your life between beautiful San Juan Capistrano, where the swallows come to nest in the whatever season that is actually right behind your office. I can see probably the swallow trees behind you and moving up to Carmel and attending Robert Louis Stevenson High School in Pebble Beach. Shout out to Robert Louis Stevenson. We're coming to visit this year. I'm coming with Ben to the Concourse d'Elegance. Um, tell us what life was like in high school up there in Pebble Beach. Yeah, you bet. Were you driving around in Ferrari GTOs and going to the concourse in your fancy hat? What was it like? It was nice. It was nice. But, uh, you know, I'll start down here in San Juan Capistrano. Uh, I was born and raised down here. I went to St. Margaret's in the early and uh, mid-80s. Uh, which is, you know, really ironic because that's where I ended up. Uh, I live in San Juan Capistrano now with my family and and both my kids have been in St. Margaret's. My daughter's been there eight years. My son has been there six years. And so to come full circle for me um, and, and, you know, San Juan is now considered my home has been very, very special for both me and my, my family. But when I was in fourth grade, my, my folks moved up to, to Carmel, California, beautiful Carmel, California. And you know, I started a new life up there. It was it was challenging, right? You know, in the kind of prepubescent years, and you know, to be uh, you know set into a new environment, you know, it, it, it was challenging. And so, but after a couple of years, you know, we 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 kind of found my way and uh, ended up attending Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, where I finally got into golf. Um, Robert Louis Stevenson backs straight up to Spyglass Golf Course. Uh, which is part of the Pebble Beach Company and considered one of the best golf courses in the United States and and really even the world. 
So Robert Louis Stevenson's golf team was like the football team at, at most high schools. Except way more boring. Yes, indeed. Uh, even though I was exposed to golf uh, my entire life, um, being that, you know, we had the family business, my dad was second generation golf business. I just really didn't enjoy the game. I was I was into running around, playing soccer, baseball, basketball, football. It wasn't until my sophomore year in high school, you know, did I realize that, you know, I really liked the game. I had a passion for the game. So I immersed myself in, in golf, uh, which, you know, people have a tendency to do when you quote unquote, get the golf, catch the golf bug. It is very infectious. Uh, once you get that golf ball to go, you know, where you want it and do what you want it to do, it, it does become, you know, very addictive in a sense. Uh, so, yeah, so that, you know, that was the beginning of, of my, you know, illustrious golf career. And so I made the varsity team right out of the gate and played three years of, of varsity golf uh, there at Robert Louis Stevenson. Uh, really enjoyed English, math, you know, had had a great group of friends, spent a lot of time surfing. We spent a lot of time on the beach there in Carmel Beach. Um, and then, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to kind of go away and spread my wings a little bit. So I went about the furthest way, point away that you could go in Boston, Massachusetts at Boston College. So uh, did you guys know Clint Eastwood? We saw Clint on uh, numerous occasions. Uh, Clint obviously is an amazing man, uh, very approachable and very down to earth, which is really neat. Right. And that's kind of how he ended up in Carmel. He filmed a movie there called Play Misty for me. And I think it was like the earlier mid seventies, uh, fell in love with the town, ended up becoming mayor. Yeah. So Clint Eastwood owned a bar there and a restaurant and, and you would see him there frequently. Now he owns a hotel. And even at the old age of 94, he, he is a staple there behind the piano and, and you see him all around town and, uh, just an amazing man and, and, and definitely a part of, of the history of Carmel. So uh, this is a, another one of the uh, Silver Spoon episodes. Uh, uh, we've been highlighting our friend Sean Baldwin through the last 120 episodes as one of those people uh, born with a, maybe a gold spoon in his mouth, but still he ended up not being a dipshit. And, you know, you hear about these kids that have good setups and family business, and we know some of them. And some of them, I guess, I, I've never really met any of them, turn out not so good. Uh, all the ones we know, end up just kicking butt, right? So you're in this family business. Your parents are hanging out with Clint Eastwood. You live in one of the nicest places in the world, one of the biggest tourist attractions for you know people dressed in ridiculous plaid outfits, and you're wearing Tom Ford. Were you in high school there at Robert Louis Stevenson thinking, I got to get ahead. I got to make a name for myself. I got to take these hard classes. I got to do these things. You know, you don't get into Boston College if you haven't done a few amazing things. Were you conscious of it? Were you trying to separate yourself? Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, fortunately, I've always been uh, extremely ambitious. So that's never been a problem for me. Uh, back in high school, I was not thinking about my career at all. Quite honestly, it wasn't until about three quarters of the way through Boston College that I started to think about really what I wanted to do. You know, my parents gave me wonderful guidance. Uh, they told me and, and encouraged me to pursue what made me happy and what I was passionate about, which was, you know, marketing, um, advertising entrepreneurship, economics. I had a minor in, in economics, macroeconomics. Uh, you know, so, you know, I, I definitely grew up in a, in a, in a loving environment that, you know, allowed me to achieve my goals. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely had a chip on my shoulder about the whole 
family business. And so, you know, when I went to go work for the family business. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We got to stop there for a second because that's a wonderful piece. You don't have to know where you're going. In high school, you don't have to know where you're going. And maybe your parents have a giant worldwide business. Maybe they don't. If they do, you don't have to go into their business. You don't have to know. If they don't, you don't have to know what you're doing. But you have to be ambitious. But you have to be ambitious. So you're open-focused ambition. So in high school, you had an open-focused ambition. You were ambitious. You wanted to go to a premier school. So you're checking some of the boxes in high school. And then like most people, and I'll, and I'll challenge you, if you're listening to this on 1.5 speed, and you should never listen to my voice on regular speed. <laughs> if you're listening on 1.5 speed, you might be thinking, oh, I don't know what I want to do. That's okay. So you go to Boston College, ambitious, not knowing if you want to go in the family business. So what were you doing? And by the way, if you haven't seen Boston College, beautiful campus, just a little teeny ways outside of central Boston, one of the most beautiful campuses you'll ever see in, in your world. Difficult school to get into. What were you doing at Boston College to set yourself up? Were you conscious of that or was it? Well, you know, just, you know, timing was excellent there. You know, I was always into computers. Matter of fact, I had uh, the first modem uh, on my block in Carmel. Well, hold on a second, dude. You were basically a nerd. Yeah. I didn't ever know that you, you were the exact polar opposite of a nerd now. <laughs> Yeah. So you were you were a nerdy computer and economics. Who majors in economics? So you have this crazy math mind um, and you probably weren't very fun back then. So you're this not fun, not Tom Ford wearing nerdy Ben that goes to Boston College. Do I have it right? Yeah. No, I mean, I wore the same Stussy sweatshirt, the same uh, Lima bean Stussy sweatshirt uh, every day. Oh, OK, good. Yeah. 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 Okay, so you're in Boston College and you're thinking, I don't know what I want to do, but I like this math economic stuff and I like this marketing stuff. So what was happening in college to set yourself up for the future? Well, I mean, you know, the, the Internet became uh, present. Right. And uh, I'll never forget my sophomore year. Um, we were handed a piece of paper that said, you now have an email address. And I was like, email address. And of course, you know, I heard of the Internet. I've been on the Internet. Um, like I said, way, way back in 1990. I had a, one of the very first modems and we dialed up a uh, San Jose a server in San Jose, California. And actually you had to dial uh, a, a long distance number. I was downloading applications for my Macintosh 2GS at the time. And it took about eight hours to download those applications. And I'll never forget, a, 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 you know, a couple of weeks later, my mom comes in and goes, oh my God, who dialed, you know, long distance to San Jose, the phone bill's $300. And I was like, whoops. Um, so of course, you know, I, I, I knew about the internet. I, I had been on there, but, you know, the formation of, you know, the formal internet as we now know it, you know, became president when I was uh, attending school at Boston College. And immediately that attracted uh, me. I got into web design, uh, developed a whole bunch of different websites, whole bunch of different concepts. And as a final project, my senior year in computer management and design, uh, I built a website for our family business simply because I really had no other ideas. Um, and it seemed easy. And I knew a lot about the family business and a lot about the products. Uh, so it seemed like it was a really easy <laughs> uh, way to get that task done. And, you know, that that's really what led me into the, the family business. So if you're 
uh, one of the Baldwin kids sitting around right now and you're thinking, God, I want that life of my dad. Just cush life, having fun all the time, working, having fun all the time. How do I take that role away from my dad? You got to look at what's new and upcoming. Because if you're in college right now or you're just out of college, you know more about chat GPT than both Ben and I. You know more about AI than both Ben and I. Correct. You may know more about data analytics than both Ben and I. So you want to make a name for yourself in that family business. Or if you don't have a family business, what's the latest and greatest technology coming up that you can beat us old farts at? And there's three of them. You could crush the two of us in chat GPT, AI analytics. If you're coming out of college and you know about that and you want to come pitch one of us on coming to work with us, that's where you go. So you're sitting in college you got all these interests, you got this math mind, you got this tech mind, and you see this, the internet revolution. It's like the invention of the wheel changed everything. And, and did you consciously think, hey, here's my way into my family business to make a difference? Or was it just a college project and you weren't planning on working at the family business? It was a college project and I wasn't working on, you know, planning on working in the family business. I mean, to be quite honest, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it, it fell into place. I feel grateful about that. And, you know, it just worked out wonderfully. And you talk, you talk so fondly of your parents all the time. And I've never met them. You come out of a Boston College. You've got a prestigious degree. Um, you did well. You took a variety of classes. And you come to your parents who are probably sitting there thinking, you know, we really want Ben in the business. But we, he's got to prove himself. You know, we've got other employees. There's executives. And you come out of college, just like anybody listening right now, if you're listening right now, you come out of college more of an expert in how to use this new technology. And for some reason, you decided to go to the family business. What happened in college that caused you to change your mind and decide, okay, I'm going to go work at Worldwide Golf Enterprises? Well, between my junior and senior year, Matt, um, I came back and, and worked for the, for the family business. And what I noticed was, again, you know, the, the internet uh, you know, was up and running and, and thriving. And what I noticed was none of, of the business files that we had for the business were available online. Um, it was, it, it, I guess you would consider that an intranet website, an intercompany website. So again, with, with the knowledge that I had designing websites that summer, I built uh, Worldwide Golf Enterprises, uh, an, an intranet website. And it was extremely popular, right? It, it became a tool that every employee used immediately. And so I saw I brought a lot of, of value to the company, um, and I was proud about that. Still, at that time, I wasn't entirely sure that I wanted to go work for the family business. It was a nice feather in, in my cap. But you know, it, it really wasn't until I got halfway through my senior year and was like, okay, listen, I got to figure out what I, what I want to do, how I'm going to pay my bills, where I'm going to live, and so on and so forth. And again, I, I uh, developed this e-commerce website or shell of an e-commerce website uh, for uh, a college project, showed that to the family, and it was very well received. At the time, uh, the golf industry had um, launched a, a, a couple of e-commerce websites that we needed to compete with. Everybody was very, very concerned um, in the retail sector about what Ecom was going to do to their business. And so it really was a, a launching pad for me into the family business. 
And for those that don't know, because it's interesting, the e-commerce business, we all thought we were moving to nothing but e-commerce and Amazon hired every truck driver and built every warehouse. And four years later, they shut down 25% of their warehouses and get rid of 25% of their drivers uh, because business to consumer doesn't work very well due to marketing costs. So you guys have, and if you've never been to a Roger Dunn, and I'm assuming Golfer's Warehouse, Golf Mart, Vans Golf Shops, Edwin Watts Golf, I'm assuming they're the what I've been to, these, what are they, 50,000, 100,000 square foot buildings that you walk into, and it's like one of those one of those fishing places that has the bass tank, but for <laughs> golf. Yep. Yeah. And you've got the simulators and you've got the custom guy in the corner and you and you've just got this. I mean, I didn't even know there was this much golf stuff. These massive, it's an experience. Like I I don't golf and I've been to Roger Dunn a few times and I don't to buy golf balls or something. That's all I'm buying. But you it's a place you go for an hour and all of a sudden we're going to sell this stuff online. Yeah. The total shift. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you nailed it right on the head there. It's it, We definitely shot for an experiential locations, right? So, I mean, you go in there and you are immersed in golf, right? You know, one of the great things about our industry is, is that it is very hands-on. I mean, people like to pick up a golf club, put it in their hands, set it down, see what it looks like in a dress, swing it in in our hitting bays, get fit, you know, with the launch monitor and the latest technologies. So, you know, that definitely insulated us from the internet, but, you know, consumables um, were very, very popular right from the get-go um, and e-commerce and direct-to-consumer. And probably a big part of your revenue too, balls, tees. Correct, accessories. Shoes, you don't need to try those on. Right, exactly, yep. All right, so what I'm hearing here, and, and, and there's a pattern, one, you you have to be solid. You don't get to take over the family business if you don't prove to the family business you're the worthwhile person to take it over. And the way you do that, and here's the the Ben system, provide value. It's, it reminds me of the <laughs> Miracle Grow commercial. What do I do to plant these flowers? Oh, pour Miracle Grow on it, and then there's a pause. Provide value, and you really want to get in there. Provide value with new tech or a new method. And the third step is make a mark. And over the course of value, possibly with a new method or technology, making a mark, you prove yourself indispensable. And in your case, and this is the most important, you have a unique ability. You have the skill, plus you have the passion. And if you listen again, it doesn't have to be chat GPT, but if you've got the skill and the passion, that might be a great place to figure out how to use this new technology or method. How do I make a mark? How do I prove myself indispensable to my family or to another business? AI, data analytics, met, there's medical technology. Where is it that you, and maybe it's not new. Maybe it's something else. You just have great sales skills. You have great accounting skills. You have great finance skills. You've got a, um, some banking experience out of college before you roll into the family business. How can you provide value in a new way for your business to make a mark and prove yourself indispensable? So you come in, you know, and, and I think what you just said, I may have heard it wrong. They didn't even know you were building the website in college. You surprised them with the finished product. That's right. Wow. It reminds me, I had a, had lunch with Natalia, not Natalia, um, Lara Ohanishian, and we were talking about taking over the family business. And I was coaching her on how to take it over from our friend, Vikan, who's <laughs> been on the show. and. You know, what I talked to her about was put together a professional pitch deck like you would if you were going to an investment banker and show the value you've added and show the impact and show your strategy. So without talking to me, which I can't believe you did it without talking to me, 
<laughs> you do exactly that and your family's just blown away. And then you got a little lucky. And I mean, you could have built a site that did, everybody didn't love right away. And it would have been a little, you probably would have gotten there. But right off the bat, everyone's using it. Everyone loves it. And so people are sitting there going, wait a second. We need to have Ben here. He's indispensable. Anything wrong with how I just described it? No, I mean, it, that's perfect. You know, well said. So you did, you went and built the site and then you must have decided, okay, or your family decided Ben should be the president of Worldwide Golf Enterprises. And so you have to do what most people have to do, go through every department. What was that like? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I don't think they, they came to that conclusion, you know, right off the bat. Um, again, you know, I've been very fortunate that I, I've just have been very ambitious and, and have a good skill set. Right. So I went to work for the family business. Like I said, I had a chip on, on my shoulder, you know, in water cooler talk. There were jokes about, you know, being part of the lucky sperm club and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's, it, uh, I, I took that chatter seriously, probably a little bit too much. So, but I, I used it to, to fuel me. Um, and, and, you know, my first couple of years of the family business, I worked harder than anybody, hands down. I mean, I was first there, last to leave, uh, worked on the weekends. Of course, you know, having no family and kids at the time and being 23 years old, uh, it was a little bit easier, but I was dedicated and, and, and driven. Um, you know, I, I wanted wealth. I wanted success. And, you know, I, I had been taught, I mean, you know, my, my dad, certainly one of my mentors, um, you know, did, did a wonderful job um, exposing me to all sorts of different schools of thoughts. I mean, when we would uh, go on family vacations in, in the Wagoneer, we used to listen to Dr. Wayne Dyer tapes, uh, you know, motivational uh, talks and, and whatnot. So I had a really good foundation, you know, of, of work ethic and, and, and success. And what's and how to achieve success. And I knew, you know, the secret was that there was no secret. It's in the dirt, you know, is getting your hands dirty, rolling up your sleeves. And yeah, you know, I made plenty of mistakes. I didn't know. I felt like being inserted into the family business. I felt like I should have known everything right out of the gate because it's my family business. Right. And the reality was I knew very, very little. So, you know, that learning curve was, was very steep for me. And it was challenging. I mean, I felt like when I would go into these meetings that I was supposed to know everything, I knew nothing. You know, when I spoke up and I made a mistake, that, that was challenging. It bruised my ego, you know? But, you know, you just have to persevere, right? Um, and, and I think at the end of the day, you know, that I, I might've said something that was foolish. Somebody, you know, somebody in the C-suite, might, you know, executive team might've chuckled, you know, and, and under their breath, you know, lucky sperm club or whatever. But I just put my head down um, and, and just kept, piling through. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disc assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. 
To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com slash podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com slash podcast. Now, back to the show. So it's interesting because somebody said, Craig Atkins said, I never want to waste a good chip on their shoulder. And he also said, I love to hire people with chips on their shoulder. And I thought about that. Because you and I are kind of spiritual guys. And you and I, and we, we'll get into our, our weird friend group of this different, diverse group of people and just how wonderful they are to us and how everyone would take a bullet for us and us for them. And we're constantly striving to make everyone's life better. Just a weird friendship circle that we're in. And, you know, if you look at the reason why we have this friendship circle, I think it's because of common values, common drive. So you, you and I have the same values. A lot of our listeners right now have these values, contribution, love, regard, respect. Um, we're spiritual. We hand out to help at any time we can. And yet we have this nonsense chip on our shoulder. And I kind of, I like mine. And I know it's the opposite of my values to have this chip on my shoulder. I know frustration, anger, disappointment, you know, all these things, but I still want that piece of me living. And, you know, mine is, you know, Ken Johns was a bully to me as a kid. He was the owner of a car dealership, which made him the king of Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's a place where if you're a car dealer, you're the king. And he just tried to screw up my life. And so I've had this chip on my life just to push his face into the mud and squish it around. I used to say I want to fly my private jet over his house in circle and just flush the toilet on him over and over and over, <laughs> which I think we've done a couple of times. And I sit there and I go, wait a second. You know, I, I went up to San Francisco and spent a day with the head of Tibetan Buddhism. And how, what would he think about this? You know, it's not who I am to have a chip on my shoulder. It's not who you are to have a chip on your shoulder. There's a negative connotation, but it's a tool we use. So if you're in college right now, or you're out of college right now, and you're not where you want to be, and you feel like you know something was done to you, okay, that's not Zen. How can you use that to push you? So how are you using this chip on your shoulder to get ahead in the business and to push yourself? Yeah, well, you know, I think, you know, there's a difference between a chip on the shoulder and an axe to grind, right? I'm sure you've heard that. Ah, right. Yeah. So, you know, the axe to grind is is really like, I think a little bit more about what you're talking about with, 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 with the bully. Um, and, you know, that, that may be not so Zen, right? I mean, your energy and your focus is on a singular, you know, person or task. Or, you know, something along those lines where, you know, the chip on the shoulder really for, for me, you know, again, it was very, very positive. I never used it um, in, in a manner in which, you know, people could, you know, judge me and say, listen, he's, you know, he's unfair or he's unkind. It really just was a, a, a motivator for me. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's what it should be. And I've never heard that difference between an axe to grind and a chip on your shoulder. So a chip on your shoulder is something that motivates and it and you don't let the negativity draw you down and you're not looking to go after that one thing or that one individual. I get it. And so you you've got this motivation to prove yourself, this motivation to show those people that um you you deserve it. And in 2017. 
you become the president of Worldwide Golf Enterprises. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, I, I worked my way up through the entire organization, spent some time in accounting, spent some time in HR, spent some time in, in the buying department with operations, you know, and, and again, I, I just, I worked hard, period, you know? And uh, yeah, so uh, I was afforded the opportunity to uh, run the family business in in, in 2017, uh, you know, one, one of the very first things I wanted to do was join YPO. Um, and, and like I said, I mean, you know, the whole family business aspect is is really that along with forum uh, is what really drew me drew me in, into YPO. And it's been invaluable to me, you know, being able to share stories about family businesses um, and having, you know, like minded individuals that have experienced uh, what I'm going through um, and can give me advice. It's, it's just been I- incredible. And we hear that story a lot. You are the sum of your five closest friends. And so you decided, okay, I'm young. I'm taking over this business. Where am I going to get help? And you found a place. And that's part of the system too. Add value, new tech method, make a mark, prove yourself indispensable, always striving perfection, always striving for excellence in yourself, but you always need help. So who's your coach if you're listening right now? Who are your friends if you're listening right now? Who are you circling yourself with that can lift you up? I met Michael Dart, who was like the world champion Toastmaster. He's friends with Scott Olivet. And we did a meditation with him on the beach. Just turns out he's the world champion Toastmaster. What did Toastmasters do for that guy? I didn't even know there was such a thing. That's great. Who are you spending your time with? So you're spending your time with this group of friends that we have lifting and sharing. And everyone's transparent, telling you their worst mistakes and the biggest screw-ups, and how you can learn from not for the story value, but for how you can learn from it. So you join YPO, and then almost immediately, two years into your presidency, you guys go sell your business. Yeah, that's right. We just we went to market in, in 2019. It was a year-long process. We had an investment bank that was helping us. Well, what timing. And if, uh, if, if you're listening to this in, in the future, right after that, the whole retail world shut down. So what timing to go to market then? Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, it, it was very interesting. I mean, we had gone to market on a handful of other occasions, but not um, as as seriously and as motivated as we did on, on this occasion. Uh, we hired an investment bank out of L.A. Obviously, you know, for those that have gone to market, it, it is a full-time job on top of your other full-time job, on top of your other full-time job as a parent and as a husband. Uh, so it was a lot. Right. Uh, in, in 2019. And, you know, as as you know, we went from managerial presentation to managerial presentation to managerial presentation. Uh, we got better and better. Right. Uh, you know, practice makes excellence. And so the, the questions that the, the private we started with private equity. Right. And the questions that private equity, you know, would bounce off us and, and really just quite honestly, Matt, the whole process in general, you know, really, really turned me off. Um, it was fun at first. It was exciting at first. And then it became old very, very quickly. Um, needless to say, I, I got deal fatigue towards the end. I think uh, every single one of us as a family business in the C- C-suite, um, you know, and the executive team got deal fatigue. Uh, there were 12 LOIs, which boiled down to two IOIs, which were really super sharky, loan-to-own type deals. Uh, I wasn't interested in in any of them. Uh, however, I wasn't a majority shareholder. 
I voiced my concerns about um, moving forward and, and rolling with another group. Um, thankfully, we called timeout in November of, of 19. You know, it was, it was definitely one of uh, the more lowly parts of, of my career. Um, there was a period of time where um, my partners and my family and I didn't speak for a couple of weeks, just the cooling off period. And then, you know, used, uh, you know, kind of just focused on our on our uh, our uh, retail business during the holiday. Right. Which is our, one of the busiest times of, of, of the year. And, you know, took some time off for the holiday right after the holiday and into the new year and, and cooked up an idea where, you know, I, I could, um, you know, take part of the business and exit the family business. Um, brought that to the family and talked about um, taking uh, the Hawaii doors, which were quite literally off the map of our footprint, right? And you know, doing a stock swap, allowing the you know the the uh, the rest of the uh, principals and and uh, members of, of the business to do whatever it is they wanted to do with the business. And I never thought that it would fly, um, but sure enough, just 24 hours later, they said that they would agree to that. And that was the next chapter of my life. I, I uh, retained the Hawaii doors, um, set off. It was its own uh, LLC to begin with. So it was pretty, pretty clean uh, separation there. Um, I did maintain uh, some equity in, in the family business, but this was going to be my new direction. I was going to be the proud owner of three new golf shops in Hawaii, the state of Hawaii. And so that was a very interesting transition, right? I mean, I went from running 83 doors now to three, you know, we had an incredible team uh, of about 60 employees at our corporate office in Santa Ana, California, um, and 1,200 employees uh, nationwide. Uh, now I had uh, three corporate office employees and about 55 company-wide employees. So, you know, pretty drastic paradigm shift there, you know? Yeah. And, and interesting, you brushed over it. If you're anything, you're a family man. I don't, I've never had a conversation with you where you didn't mention something awesome about your kids or awesome about Andy. You never. Bet. You bet. Absolutely. And you, you talk about your parents all the time. So all of a sudden you're not talking for two weeks over a business deal. I just can't even imagine that with you or me. I just can't even see that. And you and you did some soul searching and you realize, okay, I'm going to strive for perfection. I'm going to achieve excellence. I don't know if I want to do it in this new culture. And you like the culture of the family business and you like the culture of Pebble Beach and you like the culture of Boston College. And all of a sudden you're perceiving, I don't know if I like this PE uh, culture. So you, I mean, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. You took the entrepreneurial leap again. You jumped in. I mean, you could have gone and worked in, in tech in Silicon Valley when you got out of college, but you jump into the family business and now you decide, okay, I don't want to be that employee of that PE company. I'm going to do it again. And you went back to the start. There's an ego issue there. And I remember you and I had some conversations because you moved to Hawaii and you left your family here and you were gone for 36 days. And at about day 16, you kind of lost your marbles. And you were really homesick, stuck. I mean, remember you were telling me you had a VRBO and you were stuck in a VRBO because you had to quarantine. So you're in jail for two weeks um, away from your family. But you did that because you were launching your business and you made the sacrifice. So let's get into the sacrifice. That was a big sacrifice. How did you get through? And, and this applies, if you're listening right now, to just starting a business. 
This applies if you're listening right now to having to move abroad for a company because you're working for a big company. How did you get through that tough time? Because you could have quit and just retired, right? What did what skills did you use to get through that tough time that our audience can gain? Yeah. By the way, you're really good at this. I just want to mention that. Oh, I'm good at a lot of things. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So, so back to to your first question. Yes, I I am a, a family man. You know, I've, I've got a, a wonderful wife um, who's also very driven. Has had a wonderful career of her own uh, in event planning and and the nonprofit uh, space. Um, and then I've got uh, two gorgeous kids, uh, my daughter, L13, and my son, Parker, 10, uh, who I absolutely adore and, and, and love to spend a lot of time with. And, 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 and your number one thing that you would ever want to do in life is spend time with those three people. 100%. Yeah, and for 36 days they're gone. Yeah, so you know, and that had a lot to do with with you know leaving the family business. You know, I mean, owning and operating three doors. Yes, uh, you know, a, a bit of a shock to the ego, right? I mean, you go from a big fish in a small pond to a small fish in a big pond, right? Uh, but you know, what, one of the great things about you know owning this Hawaii business was I didn't need to check into the corporate office. You know, commute uh, 25 miles in each direction. You know, be there at 7:30 in the morning. I could spend the morning with my kids and get them ready for school. So, you know, quality of life and and more time with the family is one of the reasons that I chose to spun off and and and, and purchase the Hawaii business and 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 go that direction. You know, with with my life. Um, so yes, uh, you know, as timing has it, um, escrow closed on that deal, March, 2020 and the business, I owned the business 19 days before it was effectively shut down for two and a half months. And Hawaii was pretty much shut down for about 10 months. Right. I mean, it opened up, but there was very, very, very little tourism whatsoever. So that was challenging. (laughs) Needless to say. Um, you know, we, we had planned on prior to me, uh, buying the business, we had planned on relocating, uh, the Honolulu location, which is the largest of the, of the three doors that we have, uh, services, greater Honolulu area, which obviously is is clearly the, the largest city in, in Hawaii. And so we had identified and and signed a contract, a lease agreement for a beautiful new space, um, in Kaka'ako district of, of Honolulu. Um, you know, when I approached the landlord and said, Hey, listen, I'm not entirely sure what's going on with this pandemic. We would like to push the commencement date of the lease agreement back a couple months. They said, well, you know, construction has been deemed essential. Your, your general contractor can get in there and continue to do the improvements that you guys asked for. It sounds like the shutdown is only going to be for two to four weeks. We would ask that you go ahead and, and, and move forward. Um, so I'm a bit of a gambler. I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I, I think they're right. I think it's only going to be a two to four week shutdown. Typically Hawaii is about a week to two weeks behind what happens on the mainland. So I figured by the time that everything is shut down here in the mainland for two to four weeks, by the time Hawaii reacts to that, everything in here in the mainland will be back open and Hawaii will only be shut down for a week or two. Let's go ahead and press forward with this remodel and this build out. And so we, we went ahead and, and, and did that. And uh, about two weeks into it, it, it became abundantly clear that, that COVID-19 was more dangerous and deadly than everybody had initially thought. Um, and that this lockdown was going to be a lot longer than, than everybody thought. At that time, my kids were uh, learning remotely. My wife was working remotely. And I said, listen, OK, this build out is going to be about another four weeks. 
Um, for any of those that have ever remodeled their home or remodeled a business or built a business, um, an actual shell, um, you need to be there, right? I mean, you can't be telling a general contractor something through FaceTime. Uh, so I told my wife, I said, listen, this is an extremely important piece of the puzzle for our, our new business. Um, since the kids are uh, learning remotely and you're working remotely, let's go over there. We can get our VRBO. We can stick our, our toes in the sand. You guys can be learning or the kids can be learning online and you can be working online and I could be working there in Honolulu on, on, on the new build out. And after giving it some thought, even though she did want to support me, she thought that, you know, it'd just be too, she, she and the kids would be too isolated. We really didn't know anybody over there in Hawaii. And so she came to me and she said, look, I, we really can't do this, but I give you your blessing to go over there. I know how important this is to you and to our new business. So you have my blessing. And I thought long and hard about it. Um, again, you know, I thought it was only going to be maybe about 21 days. I thought the business would be open by then. And, and, and maybe I didn't need to be there the entire time. And so I committed to it. And, you know, I was in a one bedroom. I, 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 if, for those of you that weren't familiar with um, Hawaii's lockdown and quarantine policies, at first you had to quarantine in a space for 14 days without leaving that space. Uh, they took it very seriously. Every business except for, you know, those deemed essential were shut. Um, you know, they several mainlanders did, you know, take the opportunity, um, wrongfully so, to travel over to Hawaii, thinking that this was an extended vacation, um, broke the quarantine laws. And so it became a thing, uh, a trend in Hawaii to bust mainlanders that had come over there, you know, thinking that this was a vacation and jump in the water and surf and go walk around the parks and walk downtown. So they had their eyes peeled looking for, for mainlanders, breaking the quarantine. So they took it very, very seriously. Um, and I understood that. And that was the last thing I wanted to do was break quarantine. So, uh, but one of the things I didn't want to do was rent a hotel room. So there are a handful of hotels that were open. Uh, if you rented a hotel, they put you on a top floor so you could not sneak out. They had security guards at uh, all the elevators and at, at, at the uh, stairwe stairwells. Uh, they would check you in. They wouldn't even give you a key to your room because you were not to leave your room. And they they gave you a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper with all the restaurants that would uh, deliver to your room. There was a uh, a system that uh, an online system that I think they used Google's platform to build this thing kind of last minute where you would go in, you would register yourself uh, on your way into Hawaii and, and get a stamp of approval um, you had to have an, a proof of negative COVID test. That was the first out of probably 150 COVID tests that I took over the course of the pandemic. Um, and, and, and then once you entered, you would be escorted to your location. In this instance, I decided uh, to network. I found a one-bedroom apartment that had an air mattress. Yes, an air mattress. It, it actually was a, a vacant uh, apartment that my buddy found. Only air mattress in the history of the world with Tom Ford sheets on it. Right, right. And so, uh, you know, they, they found me an air mattress. They couldn't find a bed last minute. Uh, they found me a TV and they found me a couch. And so for 14 days, you know, I had my laptop. Uh, I ordered DoorDash. Uh, everything came to my door. It did not leave. Um, subsequently, uh, the CDC changed uh, the quarantine date to 10 days, and I think actually all the way down to seven and maybe even five days, stating that uh, 14 days was causing people uh, mental illness. 
And I could certainly, uh, you know, attribute to that. It was definitely uh, the most challenging 14 days of my life. There's absolutely no doubt. And you're back and you're back to being an entrepreneur. And maybe it's not COVID that hits you, but it's going to be running out of money or it's going to be the deal falls through or it's going to be you can't find employees. There's always something. This is extreme. And I just want to hit this side note again. You took this ego hit because you run this worldwide organization. Then you're down to three stores, like you said. But you grab this positive outlook. And, you know, there's things that go in your go through your mind when, you know, there's big change. How do you and this happened to me yesterday? I'm driving to the YPO event, actually. And this negative thought popped into my mind. And I've been trained. Grab the negative thought analyze the negative thought and let go of the negative thought. So this negative thought pops in my mind and automatically my system turns on because I've been doing it for years. Wait a second. That's not true about me. I can't think that way. What positive thought can I think instead? And I ditch it. How did you control the negativity? How did you stay positive? Um, You know, what tools do you have that the person listening on 1.5 speed in their car that might start slipping into negativity or might be listening to those negative friends? What did you do to stay positive during that rough time? You know, I did what I I had done pretty much my whole entire career was put my head down and work. You know, I I worked 18 hour days, right? I mean, I had nothing else to do. My goal was to build that store out move the Honolulu store, swipe the first credit card and get back home to my family. So so you you moved. That's what I did when I had my tough time. You moved to the future mentally. Yeah. You're no, through it already. A- absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and looking back at it, Matt, I, I think I wish I would have taken a little bit more care of myself, you know, and, and a little bit more self-realization that I was really mentally and physically driving myself into the ground. Uh, working, you know, fingers to the bone, if you will, you know, because it it, it did eventually catch up to me, and and you know, I I, I did have anxiety, and I did have a, a lot of uh, stress, and and you know, and you did have self awareness because you called me during that. Yeah, no, absolutely. You called you know, me to tell me you had anxiety, you had stress, you weren't in a great place. So there's a self awareness, and there's a reaching out for help that successful people do because everyone has mental strife. And I always take a pause on this. If you're suffering from mental sickness right now, get some help. It's important to go and find help. If you work in my business, we have an in-house psychiatrist to help you. We'll give you the number. If you don't, find someone. If you feel suicidal, call 911. Take this seriously. Ben and I have been through this before. We have our ups and downs. So you knew you were in a down place. You start calling your buddies. You start talking to your wife. When you were talking to me, you were talking to me about how your wife was helping you. You utilize your resources to get through and you focus on where you're going to be from this suffering. And that was your process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did I did a, a, a good job in that. Correct. Re- reaching out and getting support. You know, I, I probably could have done some meditation. I think that that would have helped me. But I was just in the go, 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 go. Every minute that I'm not working is a minute, you know, that, I, you know, later that I that I would be home with my family. And, you know, so that's kind of always been my mantra is put my head down and work. And we're going to shift gears. I only have two more questions. So you and I um, have an interesting situation where, you know, we're pretty popular people. People love us, but they love our wives more. 
<laughs> and it's interesting if you think about it, they do. My friends love my wife more. Um, it, you know, everybody says so many nice things about your wife, and you have this perfect match. And you know, we, we can talk about your charitable focus with big brothers and big sisters and all the stuff you do, but your wife, Andy. That was her profession. Was it managing director of Laura's house? Yeah, she she was the uh, uh, fund development and uh, events director for for Laura's house for fifteen years. So she's supporting you. You're supporting her. How have you leaned on her to help you launch this new business? And um, you know, uh, what impact has she had on you? And your business, and I've seen her at your office, by the way. She might even be there right now. What impact has she, has she had on helping you become successful with this Hawaii business? Well, she's just a, a lovely lady with a lot of the same core values that, that I have. Um, and you know, her her dad was an entrepreneur, so she grew up, you know, with with, with that lifestyle and and uh, very family oriented. You know, so grew up with, with the same values um, and understands, you know, the sacrifices and, and the challenges. Um, that that need to be made and, and has been um, extremely kind and supportive, you know, uh, all throughout the entire journey. Okay. And uh, I want to hit you with one last thing. That was a big sacrifice. You're launching your business. You leave your wonderful family. You leave your kids during a really tough time and you're zooming in. You know, they suffered a little bit and probably grew from it. They probably gained a lot from it, probably developed their core values. It's a big sacrifice. Way back in the 20s, uh, in your 20s, not the 20s, um, <laughs> what sacrifice did you make that you look back and you're like, oh, man, I at the time, I God, I don't want to do this. But you you made a sacrifice that changed your life and you would do it all over again. Yeah, I think it really goes back to, you know, that that chip on the shoulder that I, I talked about. I mean, you know, there was a point in college when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, you know, with my career. And I thought there's absolutely no way I'm going into the the, the family business. You know, that's that's the easy way out. And, you know, I, I, I want to build, you know, my own empire and, and so on and so forth. You know, and I would urge my 20 year old self there to, you know, to take a step back and, you know, to to really understand. I mean, listen, I was third. I'm third generation golf business. I mean, this is what my grandfather did. You know, and, you know, it's in our blood. It's it's who we are. I mean, you know, and, and I, I neglected that. Um, and, you know, I, I am passionate about golf to basically throw that away at, at an early age and to ig- ignore that, I think, was a, a mistake. Um, and so that, that's what I would urge my, my 20 year old self to do is to to step back and, and understand, you know, the heritage and, and the tradition. I mean, we're, we're Scotch Irish. I mean, golf is in our blood. Right. And, you know, to, to honor that and, and to respect that and not to throw that out at such an early age. Well, Ben McAllister, another wonderful experience. We have wonderful experiences. Now this wasn't running from the top of a ski area, a really big ski area in Alaska to the bottom of it in the middle of the night carrying a makeshift spear in case wolves and bears attacked us. That was a good one. But it was another great experience. And thank you so much for making time in your really busy day. And I was joking about it before, but you're a busy, hardworking dude. Thank you for making time to share your insight with the 20-somethings of the world and being on the edge of excellence. Listen, this was a wonderful experience. Uh, you do a wonderful job. And uh, quite honestly, I, I, I learned some more about myself. You, you put it in wonderful terms. So thank you so much. Appreciate it, Matt. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. 
Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.